Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there, this episode features Brian Gibb Long. He's the CEO of Gibbs Grooming, but you can just call him Gibb. That's the name he goes by. This is actually our last episode of 2018. So Gibbs episode closes our season two of Where Brains Meet Beauty. So I hope you've enjoyed this weekly dose of career wisdom from all of our incredibly generous guests. Um, if you missed last week's episode, it featured Erica Wasser. She's the founder of Glam and Go. Happy New Year, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am super excited to be sitting with Brian Gibb-Long, CEO Gibbs Grooming. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Well, it's great to be here. It was great to meet you about, what was it, six months ago? Yep. We saw each other in Las Vegas at Cosmoprof. Yep. And uh, now I'm in New York City having an interview. This should be pretty cool and a lot of fun, so I'm excited. I want to give our listeners some background. So, number one, I like did air quotes, which no one can see because this is audio, but Gib is your nickname, but it's the name you go by, right? Correct. Nobody calls you Brian. If someone yelled Brian on the street, would you turn around? I'd think it was the police or something. <laughs> I would think I was in trouble, but yes, I'd probably turn around. <laughs> okay, so um, I first learned of Gibbs because um, my friend Elizabeth um, handles your social media, mm-hmm. and um, I met her many years ago, and um, you are one of her clients, and um, she was just so like amazed by the traction that your brand was getting on social. Like People are just eating it up and wanting to be a part of the community, and um, the community was easy to grow, right? Yeah. Um, so I've been watching you for a long time, and it's super exciting to sit with you here so we can talk about the journey that you've had. Um, so let's start with something simple. Um, how will you be spending your day today? Well, like I shared with you before we were on the radio, uh, I got in really late last night. There's a lot of moving parts with the brand, and now we're blending into Thanksgiving. And so between getting work done, seeing the city, which is New York is my hometown, so it's always nostalgic to be here. So doing some of that, seeing some of my friends, and uh, getting ready to lock and load for family. So it's an eclectic visit, but full of high energy. I'm excited. How long are you in town for? Well, I'm actually on the East Coast for a week now, right Mm -hmm. through Thanksgiving, because that's traditional, Thanksgiving with the family. But I'll be in New York City for three days. So um, let's talk about nicknames first, because this makes me giggle so much. So um, (laughs) tell me about how you acquired the nickname Gib. Well, it's not an in-depth story. It's just my brother doled them out, as we, again, spoke earlier, uh, that they that he would just give people nicknames, whether it be my, the rest of the family or friends, and they stuck. And they usually stuck because you didn't like them. So I didn't like the name Gib, and I didn't like it for most of my childhood. Then it started to work for me, and then um, it felt comfortable, and it became wherever I did an entrepreneurial venture, I just threw the name Gib on it because it's it, it just it's simple. It has a ring. And this last this company I'm in now, the beauty company Gibbs Grooming, um, it wasn't. Uh, I did not want to call it Gib. I wanted to call it uh, T. Vaught, which is my best friend, a 50-year-old man, but I have a best friend, um, because he was the inspiration for the brand. He actually lived here in Manhattan, and um, and my mentor said, no, we're going to call it Gibbs, but this is not about your ego. This is about an acronym, 
G-I-B-S, Guys Into Beard Stuff. So that resonated. I was like, okay, I could go with that. Now it's not about me, and I didn't exclude my friend Tom. It's about an acronym, but I'm still Gib of Gibbs Grooming. Okay, so I want to take this nickname conversation further. All of your siblings have nicknames. Correct. Tell us what those are. Well, you have my oldest brother, and he's Porky. And, <laughs> and he's the one who was naming everybody? Yes. He gave himself we, that name? No, we had to throw it back on him because <laughs> he's a chunky fella. He's going to listen to this. And, and, uh, we did call him, full nickname was Pork Fat. But oh, we man. call him Porky for short. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't like that. Good for him. And then uh, my older sister, she's just sissy. And then uh, the baby sisters, baby wheeze, wheezy, wheezer, <laughs> all derivatives. I think from the little rascals. Remember, yeah. As, as older siblings, we always took care of Weezer, and that was part of the thing. So, those are the four nicknames for the four kids in the family, the Long family. And your parents call you by these names? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that no pork? Pork fat. The porky doesn't get porky. Oh, he's he he. My parents still call him Charlie. Okay. Yeah. So, um, does Weezy's do Weezy's friends call her Weezy? Uh, the ones in the the ones in the neighborhood that uh-huh. grew up, like her college friends, don't. Mm-hmm. But the neighborhood and all grammar school, high school, that the group, yeah, she's wheezy. I love it. I mean, I I think like one of the things why I've latched onto this and it makes me giggle so much is the fact that um, a lot of things don't live on, right? Like these ideas and notions that they are there for elementary school and they and they fade away, and the fact that after all these years. Your family and your friends, you know, still, I guess your friends have their nicknames too, right? You're all mm-hmm. nicknamed. Um, and um, that at last, I, I don't know, I think it's really romantic. There's something really incredible about it. It is. And I was just romanticizing with my friends. There's about 15 of us that have all known each other since fourth grade, and we still are tight. We see each other every year. I mean, that's 40 years strong. And that's so unique. And so many other groups of, because, you know, I moved to Colorado, you meet other people, and then they meet our group of friends, and they have the reaction you're having about Mm -hmm. Nick. They're just like, that is such a unique, romantic, beautiful thing. You should cherish it. And we do. We really do. It's incredible yeah, that we. It's have unusual that. and super special. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'm I'm giggling because it's um it's like a movie. You know, it's it's there's there's something there. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's move on to life as an entrepreneur. So um, it sounds like your life as an entrepreneur started when you were a deadhead selling t-shirts. Yep, and uh, everything else: veggie sandwiches, bagels, waters, beers. I sold everything. I worked the park. I call it working the lot. Um, and uh, hustling the lot. How old were you when this started? I was 17. 17. But before that, I still, I mean, I can keep tapping. I was always, like, trying to do things to make money. But it wasn't about the money as it was the journey. It's all hindsight at the time, mm-hmm. whether it even be a Kool-Aid stand, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, but I really turned it up. In, on the Grateful Dead parking lot. Right. So but you were not the only person selling T-shirts and bagels, right? Oh, no, no, yeah. So um, did you, like, seek out a competitive advantage? Like, were you thinking about how to build that business, or was it just about survival? Like, let me scrape up enough cash so I can continue on to the next stop. 
it was about continuing to the next stop, but the competitions. Have you ever been to a Grateful Dead concert? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, you should experience it, even though they are not the original band, just to feel and see what we're discussing now, which is the culture of the of the of the Deadhead, and it's a full traveling carnival, and it's a it's a fair, it's a, a farmer's market of trinkets and crystals and tie-dyes and necklace and jewelry and food and you do seek a competitive advantage over your friends uh, that's what my fellow deadheads were by theatrical like you know whether you're dancing with your sign that says come get a veggie burrito <laughs> or whether you uh, make a cool sign that's artistic or um, any way that someone's going to buy that burrito on the right side of the parking lot versus the left side of the parking lot but yes and again subconsciously I was running a business. I have my friends that also needed to make money but didn't have the drive to fill the coolers, get the ice, make the signs. I'd do it all, and then I'd delegate responsibility to them, and we'd share the money, which in turn they were my employees. Mm -hmm. Again, not at the time seeing it that way. You're seeing like, if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it, so I better do it. And how many years did that go on for? I did that strong till I was 22. Wow, that's many years. Yeah. And then um, things happened, and I decided that it wasn't a good thing for me anymore in the sense of doing it. Um, I mean, I cut to, I'm very, I wear myself on my sleeve. I had a, a drug and alcohol addiction, which I arrested at age 22 mm-hmm. and became clean and sober and went that route for the rest of my life. Still going to Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. still working the parking lots, but um, not as intensely, not living on the road. Mm-hmm. I started mm-hmm. to realize like it still is my core and heart, but some of the things that I was doing that you find there were not good for me. So was there a bottom? Like, you know, you, you need to wake up from this. Yeah, um, there was a bottom. Are you going to share that with us? (laughs) I mean, like I said, I wear it on my Mm -hmm. sleeve. It's part of my story. I know I didn't talk to you about that, and and here we go. But no, I ran into trouble with, like I said, the drug addiction, Mm -hmm. and and a byproduct of that was the police, which ended up in a situation where I was looking at a lot of trouble, and I had an epiphany in the orange suit and the blue slippers, that said, uh, you're, you, you're not normal. You have too much to offer. Stop it. It was that clean. Mm-hmm. And from that day forward, I never did anything. I just, you know, I, it took work. I went into the, I went into AA and NA, and I went through rehab and. Even that, like anything, I threw myself into it. When I went into the rehab, I'd already been clean 30 days, but I felt like I was going to use again. Mm-hmm. So I got into the rehab, and then I was there, and I was like, why am I here? Everybody here just is getting clean. I'm ahead of them. But I stayed humble, and through by the fifth, sixth day, I was all in, and by the end, I was voted leader of the community because they vote every week mm-hmm. for who's going to lead the the meetings, who's going to... And again, I was a 22-year-old kid amongst people as old as 65, 70. Mm -hmm. And it was cool. And it was the natural leadership that's in me that enjoys getting a group together for success, whether it's on a Grateful Dead parking lot or in a rehabilitation center. I felt like I was almost like... 
Jack Nicholson and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> well, congratulations on your sobriety yeah. and for finding it so early in your life. Because yeah. you said you were surrounded by people in their 60s, right? Who yeah. suffered for so long. Yeah. And, um, and part of those, you know, and I still did everything, though. All my friends still party and mm-hmm. I throw parties and I just, I, I have enough fun being clean. Yeah. Um, I, um, I'm always the uh, sober person in the room. And um, have been for many years, and um, it's a very interesting point of view. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it can be. I always make sure I have my exit, and when it turns the corner, I'm known for the Irish mm-hmm. exit, and I don't say goodbye and I leave. Uh, you know, it's actually something because I I haven't drank for many years, and I've noticed that as I grow my business, like it sort of is a little bit of an obstacle because I'm at events and conventions and things like that, and I see these relationships being made not at the bar at seven o'clock. I can sit there with my seltzer, right? Mm-hmm. But at like midnight, one o'clock in the morning, when people are falling off their stools, yeah. that's when they're making these like deep re- deeper relationships, or they think they are. Right. Um, I'm not doing that, and I'm not playing golf. Like, so I have to work harder. And in different ways to find quiet time with people. I know exactly what you mean, but I have a motto that I hear that I... Nothing really true or good comes from a business after 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've now moved that down to nine, sometimes eight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you were in the beauty industry. It's fun. There's parties, after parties, all these things that go on. Um, but I've... Just learn that, you know, get done what you got to get done. Enjoy when it's enjoyment time. And when it's time to Irish exit, get your rest because the next day is a biggie. I am um, a very great um, breakfast date, mm-hmm. coffee meetup, lunch meeting. Yeah. Um, but for a host of reasons, I want to go home at night. I want to hang up with my kids. I want to put them to bed. And as my fans know, um, watch The Real Housewives on Bravo. Like, this is this is fun for me. This feels like a really complete, exciting day. So um, I just have to work harder and in different ways to yeah. to get, um, get these moments with people. Mm-hmm. Moments that I want, that I think are valuable, not, you know. Well, I have the benefit of a business partner who uh, by no means has a drinking problem, but he's he's the yang to my mm-hmm. yang. He mm-hmm. can go the distance, and he is able to carry the torch, whether it be with the president of Cosmoprof or whoever, to be able to socialize. And he we know our routine, and mm-hmm. he's like, he'll just look to me and say, are you going to Irish? I'll mm-hmm. be like, yeah. He's like, I got this. Mm-hmm. And then he goes the distance. Right, right. Uh, Big Smooth and I are like peas and carrots. So. Okay, so we're going to get to Big Smooth. <laughs> Um, but first, I think we need to go to bagels and hair feathers. Okay. Um, so I, I wrote that you're the bagel king of Colorado. Did I make that up? No, people have said that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I bake bagels here in New York. I think I told you that. And White Plains. As a teenager. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it was called Bagel Boy. And um, it was a authentic Jewish bagel shop. And... Uh, his family also was in bagels, and I had learned how to do that, not thinking I'd want to own my own someday. And when I went west in my Grateful Dead pilgrimage style, because I'd stopped going to band, but I still had walking shoes. I love tra- I love road tripping. Mm-hmm. And I went to Colorado, and I was there to snowboard for a couple of months, and 
there was no bagel shops. There's a ton of us New Yorkers transplanted out there. Now, this is 20-plus years ago. And um, my bell goes, my entrepreneurial bell goes off. There's a need, fill it. You'll kill it. And I did the venture, which wasn't easy to get started. It was the first legitimate business I've ever owned, meaning it had a tax ID number. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I opened Gibbs uh, Bagels after two years from the idea, and that was a whole journey in itself to get that open, learning podcasts, I mean podcasts, <laughs> SBA loans, um, as trying to get an SBA loan, trying to get management experience, trying to get education, all the things the bank wanted to see for my loan. And I, I got it all, mm-hmm. and I was able to close it. Uh, 10 no's on the 11th bank, I got a yes. That's the difference between a normal person and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I call it the deadhead philosophy. You don't have a ticket to a sold-out show, guess what? You're still going in. Mm-hmm. You're going to figure out a way to get into that show. And uh, you do if you're a real head. So um, at the end of the day, I got Gibbs Bagels open. It was extremely successful. Um, from the day it started, there was a line down the block, and I was 26 or 25. I, I was right on the cusp of that. And, um, and I took care of my family that way. In that process of trying to open the bagel store, I got married, had a kid. Um, life was happening really fast, and the reality at that moment, I was a Domino's pizza driver with an idea to open a bagel mm-hmm. store, which doesn't look good on paper to family when you have a baby and a wife and you're a pizza delivery man and they're like, what else are you going to do because you can't take care of your family like that? And I very on, I'm doing a bagel store. And I got it open. It was good. I ran it uh, for 15 years. It grew in a lot of different directions. Um, there were tributaries to it in that process. I did other companies. I opened a juice bar. Uh, Gibbs Pacific Juice. Um, I dabbled in other things. I had Gibbs Italian Ice, which we'd go to biker rallies and music festivals and set up Italian Ice and um, just always on the hustle. And again, it wasn't so much about the uh, the money as putting the idea to reality and watching it grow. And um, but when I did get burnt out on food, anybody in the food industry knows that. That day comes. Right. And because um, of the hours? Just the hours, the employees. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, when I was 26, 25, the employees were my age. They were right. my friends. Right. I mean, when I tell you they were like, they lived in my house, literally. Right. I'd right. come home, there'd be three of them there. One mm-hmm. of them's cooking, one's mm-hmm. taking care of the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a family. It was a cultural brand, just like Gibbs Grooming. Gibbs Bagels, I think I told you, was not about a round piece of bread. Right. It was a movement in the town of Fort Collins that everybody rallied around and uh, supported it. Uh, and it wasn't a, it wasn't just the sandwich. It was uh, what we brought to the town. I do live by the motto, which I got from recovery, that you can't keep it unless you give it away. So uh, you can't be sober and keep the sobriety unless you help other people achieve sobriety. Um, and that's your obligation. And the same thing in the company. The, this, the, the, this, the town of Fort Collins supported me, and I gave back to the mm-hmm. town, whether it be 
jobs, whether it be donating high schools to the college, um, helping with the, the handicapped community, giving them jobs. It, it just, and it all came natural. It wasn't part of like a written business plan. And I made a ton of mistakes. And I didn't make as much money because I was sloppy, because I like to have fun. Mm -hmm. So I always threw parties. I told you, I'd always throw parties for my staff. Mm -hmm. And we did fun things and didn't make as much money. And I think if I ran it better as like, I now own a Dunkin' Donuts. Did I tell you that? Yeah, yeah. you mentioned that. Uh -huh. So if I ran it like a Dunkin', I probably could have made twice as much mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. But no regrets. Right. One of the Gibbs mottos, no apologies, no regrets. That's what built Gibbs Grooming. I mean, Gibbs Bagels. And so uh, I sold it to, uh, I, put, I put it up for sale. And um, a guy appeared out of nowhere. Uh, that's my current business partner, who his name's Mike Howland. We thus call him Big Smooth. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> he, bought the, he bought the bagel store within a week. We didn't negotiate. We just talked. He dug what I had. He was an IT man, and he was miserable. He was an entrepreneur trapped in a desk job. And we hit it off. I like to fish. I like to hunt. I like, to, I like the outdoors. And he did. And we talked about um, hunting and fishing and hanging out. And I worked for him for a while. We got to know each other. We were constantly not getting much bagel work done because we were always talking about other ideas we could do. And then we ended up in the feathers, which um, one of the girls at the bagel store was wearing a feather that her father, one of our fishing colleagues, put in her hair. And, uh, and it was very attractive. It looked cool. We used them for making flies for fly fishing. And she... Um, she just put it in her hair, and then she actually dyed a couple of them. And people made comments, and I kept encouraging her uh, as she was installing them for $10 a piece, and they cost three cents a piece, uh, that she should start a business, and she did not want to do that. So I told her I was going to. She was in school to be a school teacher. And so um, me and Smooth pooled our money and went out and bought every feather out there for the fly fishing, the specific breed of feather. And we started a company called hairfeathers.com. And uh, not being from the beauty industry and not, and being a hippie, like again, I shared with you, um, I didn't know what avenue to sell it in. If it was in sporting goods, I could have. If it was in outdoor gear, I could have. If it was in music, I could have. But beauty uh, was not my thing. Um, so I Googled hair show. And right here in New York, coincidentally, a month after we started the company, was the International Beauty Show at the Javits Center. And we came in and we opened, uh, we blew the, the doors open there and walked in without any props. I'm looking where we're interviewing. It kind of looked like this. Mm -hmm. And we just had a table. And um, we had no hairstylist with us to do the install of the feathers. You got two goons, me and Smooth's like big, and he looks like Bluto from Popeye. Big black beard, mm -hmm. tough. And we're the last thing that a girl wants to have touching their hair that's a stranger. That So we met a couple stylists in LaGuardia who were mm -hmm. flying in just for the show. <laughs> uh -huh. And I texted them. 
And I'm like, are you guys at the show? Do you want to work? And they came, and they worked all weekend with us. We became friends with them. The booth blew up. Everybody, we were the talk of the show, and uh, we launched the trend of seven years ago where everybody worldwide was wearing feathers in their hair. And we sold $3 million in feathers in a few months, and it in was a few awesome. Months. few months. Mm -hmm. Our website was blowing up. We'd sit there in Fort Collins, and we'd hold our cell phone up watching <laughs> our thing, and it'd be like 30000 35000 a day in sales. How much was a feather being sold for? We first started selling them for 50 cents a piece, mm -hmm. then they went to a dollar. And as our de the, the demand was growing, we went to a dollar fifty. Mm -hmm. No matter what we charge for them, people pay for them. Mm -hmm. People were fighting over them. There's so many weird stories that had to do with these feathers because everybody wanted them. So do these you were like the them? feathers that had like a little bead on it and maybe like a little like braided rope too? No, they were like a hair extension. They were oh, just like okay. a thin piece oh, of hair with the little okay. stripes on them. Okay. Those were called barring. Uh -huh. And uh, and then they, they were bred so that when a trout hit them on a fly that they wouldn't fall apart. Mm -hmm. But when you put them in hair, they still wouldn't fall apart. You could wear them for a month as oh. a hair extension. Uh -huh. And they would hold their integrity. You could blow dry them, curl them, and everything. And so um, it just became a thing, especially when Steven Tyler wore them on, um, what was it, uh, American Idol. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it became a trend. But when they were all gone, they were literally all gone. Because feathers come from birds. They do. Birds grow feathers. And it takes a year to grow a 12-inch feather. A very specific feather, and so we did hatch a bunch of birds. Uh, we twenty thousand. You owned your own birds? No, I oh. got the farmers together because uh -huh. there was only three farms in the country. These aren't farmers; they were genetic doctors. They mm -hmm. had doctorates from uh, very credible schools, and they bred these genetically um, for fishing. And I could get into the science of it because I learned a ton. It was mm -hmm. totally interesting. And uh, anyway, I got them together and we hatched and we funded all these roosters. And when they were done growing and we were ready to relaunch, nobody wanted feathers. Oh, man. It's humbling. That's being an Seriously. entrepreneur. So, like, did you lose a lot of money at that stage? Well, it's, it's all relative. The project, we made money. That was, right. a, that, okay. was, that was a hemorrhage part. I look at it like the extra 20 dozen bagels at the end of the day that you either have to give away or throw in the dumpster. Right. Did you lose money there? No, it's part of the whole equation. Right. So the venture was successful and in hindsight. I'm a big hindsight guy. It got me into the beauty industry. Right, right, because now you knew you needed a t talented hairstylist to help bring this idea to life. And right? I knew that I walked into that Javits Center, and I think I shared, the, I always say this, the energy of that Javits mm -hmm. Center uh, with the artistry and the people and the music and commerce and people mm -hmm. making money and the hustle was Grateful Dead Land. Yeah, yeah. And the beauty world was the Grateful Dead world. Mm -hmm. Only one shampoos and the other doesn't even shower. <laughs> but the energy was the same. Right, right. And, and like the frenetic the frenetic quality in the air, right? Like there's just so much happening. It's happening and exciting. Mm -hmm. I had Gibbs insurance at one point. <laughs> that was the death of me. That's not exciting. You sell a product people hate. 
I have to sell what I love. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that got me in the rooms of beauty. Feathers are over. I lick my wounds. I say, okay, but how do I stay in this carnival environment and enjoy it and make a living? And uh, it spawned the idea with my friend Tom, like I shared earlier. Um, He, you know, there was no product in the beauty industry called hair feather. And there was no product in the beauty industry called beard oil. Right. So um, what was Tom seen as a, he was a beard wearer, right? He had a big beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a whole nother thing. He died a week ago, so which sorry. was sad. Yeah. Um, and he was uh, the inspiration behind the brand. And he knew on the Lower East Side where he lived. Um, that these barber shops, and again, this was years ago, like five, six years ago, were mixing their own beard oils, but they're, and he said, and he used them in his beard. I used to use Moroccan oil in my beard. Mm -hmm. And um, he inspired me to take this to a level because he went through the Javits Center because I was going there annually and he asked everybody if they had beard oil and they said, no, we have hair oil that you could use in your beard. But there is no beard oil. So I like to bring something new to the table. And I then started to develop uh, the beard oil under the name with the help of the people I met in the beauty industry under Feathers. And they started to put my dream team together for everybody that could do what I couldn't, which was formulate fragrance, create the legal labeling and 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 put a bottle on the shelf called Gibbs Beard Oil. And this dream team uh, is still intact today. And we went from creating a beard oil, it was like the bagels, which were, um, it's more than a piece of bread, it's more than a bottle of oil. It was the brand, because the people that we assembled are having so much fun we're productive, we're working, but everybody wanted to be a part of it. And then we call our brand a cultural brand. And it resonated with the kismet happenings of men's grooming mm-hmm. exploding. Mm-hmm. I did not know men's grooming was exploding. I just wanted to make a beard oil. Right. Right place, right time. I had a brand. So a big, the biggest distributor in the world that we distribute with, the president called us in and and said, did we want to build a brand, build a line, a men's grooming line, under the brand Gibbs with Donna Federici, who is the captain of my ship, and she's done a lot of reputable things in the beauty industry, with uh, Big Sexy Hair being one of her opuses. And so they said, you keep Donna at the helm. All these barbers that have organically come to you that are world famous, they cut all the professional athletes, the rock stars, Hollywood, and they're Gibbs guys. Mm-hmm. They wear this shirt that I'm wearing that no one can see, but it does. Mm-hmm. It's a fun shirt with the skulls and roses, and, um, and they're Gibbs people, and they help make the products. I'm not a barber. I am not a stylist. I'm Gibb, and I know what I can't do, but we have a brand and I have the ability to bring people together and get organized to create a movement for fun, but to make money and to, we've created a company. It's awesome. It's, this is the best one I've ever done. Yeah, by far. So um, I've been to hair shows where you're presenting um, and they're, um, 
you know, everything you're talking about being at, in the parking lot at a Grateful Dead concert is really, I see it in your booth, right? So there's like a lot of energy. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of animation. It's like, how do we, how do we create the show that we need to create in our own little space? The way that you're talking about making a better sign or shaking the sign or whatever it was you know, when you were 17 years old, you've recreated that in the style of Gibbs in your booth. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that's where a lot of um, the new people come to meet you, right? Like they're just entranced by what's happening there. Yeah. And like the president of, uh, like the people at Cosmoprof uh, said to us, they're like, we go to your booth, they see what you saw. Mm -hmm. And they're like, and then we see all the people from the other brands, like Paul Mitchell, American Crew, and all, all these big brands. Their people, when they're on break or whatever, mm -hmm. are hanging out in your booth with your people. Right. It's a natural magnet. And they're like, what are you doing over there? What Kool-Aid are you serving? You know, and, uh, and it's just a good vibe and it's good people. And I call all the brands, my brethren, and they've helped me. Mm -hmm. the guys from American Crew, the founder, congratulated me on what I've done. I'm very, I listen a lot. And even in the bagel business, I never, uh, if you were a mom and pop shop, we, it's friendly competition. If I need a bag of sesame seeds, I could call Rocky Mountain Bagel Works mm -hmm. and be like, Kyle, I need a bag of seeds. He's like, no problem. You want me to bring them up or are you going to pick them up? Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we're down the road from each other and we're competitors. And I create that. Just like on the dead lot, mm -hmm. it was fun mm -hmm. to have my brethren. He's selling food. I'm selling food. It's a balance. I believe uh, my first barber, his name was Mikey Sharp. And he's out of Philadelphia. And Mikey Sharp had a phrase that said, we can all win together. And I run with that. Mm -hmm. I always knew that, but I never knew how to phrase that. I like that. We yeah. win together. It's beautiful. Yeah. So um, the last thing I want to talk about is, like, what is your dream for Gibbs? Like, where does it go from here? Well, that's a good question because it, everything's happened so fast. I didn't even know I was going to have a line. I thought I was going to create beard oil, swing some beard oil open a Dunkin' Donuts, mm -hmm. just keep moving. Um, right now, we're just in, we're growing so fast, we're trying to maintain growth. Uh, drink in and digest and learn what's happening. The vision for the company is to, to I want to be the next Paul Mitchell. I want to be the next American crew. I want to be the next brand in the beauty industry. Why? because I can, and it will be cool to leave that legacy as my, I say this is my opus, like people have, and I've done a lot. Not that I, so I see myself, even if I, the company will organically take on a life of its own, that I will always be around as long as I am relevant. Uh, I'm, I won't be like I was at the bagel store where I was creepy and I hung out because I had nowhere else to go. Well, that was my identity. But I want to stick with this brand and because I, I love it and it's fun and it's what I do. And it's taken my life works of mistakes and learning and now I've put that all to use in this project. So this is the this is the ride to retirement. Whether my two sons, who are grown now, um, how old are they now? Twenty one and twenty five, and they're awesome, and they're not business people. My younger one is intrigued by it. 
Uh, and I'm, you know, there's that whole natural progression of, well, then your boys come in. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they will. I think they're going to keep a healthy distance from dad's crazy creation. And uh, they like to ride on the outskirts. They come to events mm -hmm. and, and get to meet. You know, we met Shaquille O'Neal oh, a couple weeks ago in Austin, and he came in, and we put the Gibbs shirt on him and filmed him. And You had a big enough Gibbs shirt? Nope, but I made it go on. Did I send you that video? No. I have a video of me putting it on, and it was like putting a wetsuit on, and it was a 4X. <laughs> and I, I wanted it on him because they were going to put the clip on ESPN that he was in our pop-up barbershop at Austin City Limits. Huh? And it's a big music festival, and um, uh, it's just that's just one of the many cool byproducts of having this success keep growing. Right. And my younger son was with me, like shacks with my dad, you know? Sweet. <laughs> it was cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom mm -hmm. with our listeners. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, very cool. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Gib. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.